If you have your Bibles this morning, I would like to invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And if you look at the scriptures that are listed in the bulletin and on the title of this message, you're thinking, wow, this is going to be a long message. 48 verses. I'm going to read the 48 verses, but I guarantee you I'm not going to look in detail at all these 48 verses. I want to, give, I want to read all 48 verses just to kind of give an overview of this, this uh, song, really, of Moses. It is a song of Moses that Moses uh, recites uh, in the front of all of the people of Israel. But I want to draw our attention to just a, a few things from this passage this morning that relate to the subject of fatherhood. And I've entitled this message, Don't Forget Your Father. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning of verse 30, says that Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not as children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him. In a barren and howling waste he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock, and with fattened lambs and goats, with the choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat, you drank the foaming blood of the grape. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. 
gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvests and set afire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities on them and spend my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send against them the fangs of wild beasts, the venom of vipers that glide in the dust. In the street, the sword will make them childless. In their homes, terror will reign. The young men and young women will perish, the infants and those with gray hair. I said I would scatter them and erase their name from human memory, but I dreaded the taunt of the enemy. Lest the adversary misunderstand and say, Our hand has triumphed. The Lord has not done all this. They are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not like our rock, as even our enemies concede. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free, he will say, now where are their gods? the rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear as surely as I live forever. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh. The blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders, rejoice you nations with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. 
When Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Let's bow in prayer together. Father of grace and mercy, we thank you that we have the privilege to call you Father. We thank you that we have the right to be called the children of God. Not because of what we have done, not because of our goodness, not because of our own will, but Father, because you gave us birth. You gave us birth from above into a new and living hope through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again for us. Father, thank you for this word that you have given to us this morning, this word of your servant Moses. May we reflect on it, though it is thousands of years old, may we reflect on it today and apply it to us today in our homes and families, in our church. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We live in a crisis of fatherhood today. There's a crisis of fatherhood. There are so many one-parent homes, so many broken homes, so many fathers who have abandoned their families and their children. We've heard the statistics the statistics for families that grow up without a father, they're not good. Families that grow up without a father, those children are way more likely to end up in prison, to end up jobless, to end up addicted to drugs. For them to end up again with another broken family replicated again in the next generation, There's an attack on everything that God has designed for the family to be. You read Genesis 1 and 2, and you see the pattern that God made. God made a man, God made a woman, and he brought them together to be married, one flesh, and then for them to be fruitful and multiply, to have sons and daughters, and to have a family in which they would teach their children what God had told them. And for that pattern to be replicated generation after generation after generation. And you see what's going on in our current culture. And there is an attack on every single one of those aspects of Genesis 1 and 2. There's an attack on what it is to be human. There's an attack on humanity, on the image of God. There is only one, only one part of God's creation that is specifically said to be made in the image of God, and it is human beings. Human beings are made in the image of God. They are the crown of God's creation. Human beings are of ultimate value and worth 
because God made them and made them in his image and made them to have dominion over everything in the world. But you look at our world, at our culture, and you see human life being thrown away. Most obvious example is abortion. Why do we have so many abortions? Well, one reason is because men and fathers don't take responsibility for their actions. There are multiple reasons, but that's one big one. So we're attacking the very foundation of life, of human beings made in the image of God. We're throwing away life at the beginning. We're throwing away life at the end. You see Western cultures, especially in Europe, starting to push the edges now on euthanasia and assisted suicide and and helping those who are elderly or uh, terminally ill to just go away and to take their life into their own hands and to get rid of the pain and the suffering and to make that decision for themselves to end their life. That is not their decision to make. God is the one who determines our days. I read this last night. I was just flipping through one of the apps that I have on my iPad is kind of a, it's a, just draws news sources from all over and kind of combines them, combines them into one app. And I was just flipping through that and I came across an article on AL.com. So this happened in Alabama and it was about a, a, a shooting, a, a multiple murder that took place in northern Alabama in which seven people died. And do you know what the title of the article was about and what the main point of the article was about? That a dog had also gotten shot. And they weren't sure why. Seven people died and the title of the article and the main focus of the article is, why did they shoot the dog? We got everything all upside down in our culture, don't we? I'm not saying that it's right to kill dogs, but let's put things in perspective. Human beings are made in the image of God. Life is being attacked. Gender is under attack, isn't it? More than at any other time in the history of humanity. The very concept of male and female, man and woman, that God made. In Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. And he made them after his likeness, male and female, he made them. And in Genesis 2, he takes a male, a man, and a female, a woman, and he brings them together in marriage. And without that foundation of a creator God who makes things the way things are, we have a culture that is completely adrift, don't we? completely adrift, has no way of knowing what is real, what is true, what is foundational. It's all about you and your experience and what you think is right and what you believe. And so you end up with not one truth, but with six billion truths. How can you have any kind of a cohesive civilization if we can't agree on basic foundational things with regard to our very existence in life. And that is that we are born either male 
or female, and that is the way God designed it. And he, he designed it that way for good. God makes things. He is a perfect engineer, isn't he? He's a perfect designer. God made everything the way that he made it for a good reason, for a perfect reason. He knew how it was supposed to function. He made male and female, and he said at the, at the end of it, this is very good. But we in our sinfulness threw a wrench into God's design, didn't we? Yes, things are now messed up. Things are broken and people experience all kinds of difficult things, psychological, mental, physical in their lives. But that doesn't erase the, the basic framework that God designed from the very beginning. Marriage is under attack. One man, one woman united together in marriage. And now we're just redefining marriage however we want to. Again, how can we have a civilization, a cohesive society, if we can't agree on the basic definition of what a marriage is, what a family is supposed to be. Fatherhood is under attack. In the media, in television, in movies, the depiction of fatherhood is not a good one. For the most part, the depiction of fatherhood in the media is one of irresponsibility and the one who in a lot of movies and shows, the one who holds everything together is the mother. But where's the father? God designed fathers to teach. God designed fathers to lead. God designed fathers to protect. God designed fathers to provide. Fatherhood is a creation of God. In fact, so much so that God is willing and wants to take that metaphor of fatherhood and apply it to himself. The dominant way that we as Christians think of our relationship to God is of a child to a father, isn't it? That is the dominant, the primary way that the New Testament refers to us. We are children of God. God is our heavenly father. What we're reading today in Deuteronomy chapter 32, as far as I could tell, is the first time in scripture that the term father is applied to God. The first time in scripture that the term father is applied to God. And it's applied in the context of God's making a nation. In Deuteronomy 32, it says in verse number Verse number six, is this the way that you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he, God, not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Why is God the father of Israel? Because he gave them birth. He brought them into existence. He fathered them. They were not a people, but then by his love, by his covenantal grace, by his goodwill and mercy, he called Abraham, he called Isaac, he called Jacob, he called the sons of Jacob, and he made them his people. He fathered them. He created them as a unique, separate, distinct people 
from all of the peoples of the earth. And the overview of, of Deuteronomy 32 is simply this. There's a lot in Deuteronomy 32, right? It's a, it's a very long passage. But the overview of it is simply this. God made you, and he's worthy of praise. God made you, and he is worthy of praise. That's the first part of Moses' song. He says, let, let me tell you, Israel, let my words fall like rain on tender plants. And he says in verse 3, I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord, the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. In other words, Moses begins with praise. He begins with praise. Why? Because God is the one who is unlike any other. He is the only God. He is the only one who exists. And he is the almighty, perfect creator who brought us into being. Therefore, he is worthy of praise. And not only just praise, but exclusive praise. Exclusive worship. Because here's what happens in Deuteronomy 32. Moses, in his poem, his song, he describes people who wander away from the Lord. And what do they wander to? They wander to other gods. They wander to idols. They start to put their hope, their worship, their identity in other things. And lest we think that idolatry is just a thing of some ancient culture in the past, in the ancient Near East, who had little statues... No, idolatry is alive and well today. Idolatry is alive and well today. Our idols just look different, don't they? Our idols look different. We don't have little statues of little gods in our homes. Our idols look like little green rectangles with pictures of presidents on them. Our idols are in the shape of lavish homes. Our idols are in the shape of vehicles that drive down the road that we want to uh, have comfort and luxury and impress other people with our purchase. Our idols are in the shape of a title in the front of our desk that says, I'm the boss or I'm the president or I'm the CEO. Our idols are in the shape of little uh, icons on Facebook that say you have 10 million followers. We have idols. They're just different shape today. And the primary message that Moses has for Israel is God made you. He is worthy of praise. You're going to be tempted to wander away from your God. You're going to be tempted to wander away from your God and to put your hope in other things. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't forget your father. He says in verse number 17, they sacrifice to false gods, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods they re that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. 
you forgot the God who gave you birth. You're going to be tempted to wander away from your father. Don't do it. Because if you do, here's what the Lord is going to do. He is going to do what a true loving father would do for his children. And that is he is going to discipline you. He's going to discipline you. And he's going to let difficult things happen to you. And you're going to fall into your enemy's hands. And you're going to be defeated. And you're going to be conquered by other peoples. Why? Because you are the one who turned your back on your father God. You wandered away from him. And so God is going to give you up into all kinds of troubles and problems and failures and defeats. But he will not forget about you. He's not going to let the enemies triumph forever. He's not going to let them say, our God is stronger than your God. God is not going to let that happen. At the end of Deuteronomy 32, Moses says, God is going to remember his covenant. He's going to bring glory to himself and he's going to have mercy upon the remnant of his people. He's going to vindicate them. He is going to draw them back again. Why do we have a crisis of fatherhood? And not just in America, not just in our nation. There's also a crisis of fatherhood in the church, isn't there? On any given Sunday across the church, not just here, but the church in general, there will be more women there than men. Generally speaking, there will be more women there than men. Generally speaking, across the board, across the church, you will have more female volunteers serving in ministry than men. There's a crisis of fatherhood in our homes, in our nation, but there's also a crisis of fatherhood in our churches. We need men to be godly examples to young men. We need men to serve in ministries. We need men to fill leadership positions. We need men to fill servant positions. We need men just to be godly men and to show others what it looks like to be godly men. We need men to show up and to be here, to be part of the church, to be part of the family of God. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons, probably the main reason why we have a crisis of fatherhood, not only in our land, but in our churches, is because we forgot our father. We have a crisis of earthly human fatherhood because we have forgot our divine heavenly father. And when we forget our divine heavenly father, things are not going to go well. Things are going to fall apart. Things are going to start to break down. Things are not going to run the way that they're supposed to run because we're not doing it according to the pattern that God has established. And a part of the things that may be happening to us may be a part of God's discipline upon us because we have turned our back on our rock, our father, who brought us into existence. And so what is the solution? 
It's very simply this. Don't forget your father, and if you have forgotten him, remember him. Turn back to him. Because here's what Deuteronomy 32 also reminds us of. Yes, God will punish, discipline those who wander away from him, but God is bountiful and compassion, isn't he? God is bountiful in compassion and mercy to welcome his children and to forgive them and to vindicate his people. In verse number 36, it says, The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and now no one is left, slave or free, he will say, Now, where are their gods? The rock that they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices, and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. Sometimes God allows us to fall into difficult situations and to be disciplined by him so that the gods that we have put our hope in, small g, will be shown to be what they really are. And that is nothing. No gods at all. Gods who can't save, gods who can't deliver, gods who can't give your life meaning, gods who can't fulfill your soul, gods who cannot satisfy your deepest longings. God sometimes will let us go and pursue those things. And as a part of his discipline, those things fall apart. Those things fail us. Those things break. Those things don't satisfy. Why? So that we will realize that God is the one. That he's the only one. And he's always been the only one. And so turn back. Remember your father. Fathers, let's remember our Heavenly Father and let's live our lives according to His Word and according to His perfect pattern of, father, of fatherhood. Let us teach our children about our Heavenly Father. That's what this passage says at the end. Moses says, after he had said all these things in front of all the people, he says, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. So let's remember our father. Let's teach our children to remember our father, God. And all of us, not just fathers, all of us as believers in Christ, may we remember our father because he made us. He made us. He made us who we are. And he is worthy of praise and he is worthy of our exclusive loyalty. And worship. So, church, don't forget your father, the one who made you and formed you, the one to whom you owe everything. Don't forget your father. Let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the one who made us, the one who called us out of a people that was no people. And you made us into a people. You redeemed us. 
You made us your children. You formed and fashioned us into your children, your people. Father, thank you that you have done all of this by grace, by mercy. Father, may we, out of the love that you have shown to us, out of the grace that you have shown to us, may we respond with grateful, faithful worship and obedience because you are our loving Heavenly Father. Your servant, the Apostle John, said it best. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. By your grace, Lord. So may we live our lives as your children under your loving care and protection and guidance. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.